And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Good morning. Today is uh, Monday, April 17th. Hope everyone had a uh, wonderful uh, weekend here in New York. It was uh, very spring-like. For those of you who have procrastinated, um, we are uh, down to the last uh, day. We get until uh, April 18th this year to uh, file our taxes. Uh, so unless uh, there's an extension uh, in the works, then uh, today is uh, the last full day you have to uh, get those uh, taxes uh, sent out. Uh, perhaps uh, equally importantly is to uh, remember to make sure you take advantage of any contributions that are available to you to uh, to make to retirement plans. Uh, so you have until uh, tomorrow, April 18th, to have a, a postmarked envelope uh, to make a contribution to an IRA if you're eligible or a Roth IRA if you're eligible uh, for uh, the 2022 or the prior year contribution uh, tax year. Uh, so uh, last uh, last opportunity to take advantage of uh, of uh, that, uh, which may be helpful uh, for a tax deduction or for tax uh, deferred uh, growth throughout your lifetime in a Roth, and then uh, and then even when you take the money out, as long as you adhere to the rules, uh, you do not pay any taxes. So this morning, uh, going to uh, talk about uh, the times that uh, that we're in and uh, how they uh, feel uh, unprecedented. And uh, like things uh, have never been this uh, crazy before, and um, I will uh, talk about uh, how our perceptions are affected by our uh, lifetimes, and uh, that uh, controversy and uh, and, uh, and and uncertainty are are, are nothing uh, new. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk uh, also about uh, the U.S.-China uh, relationship, and uh, we'll talk about Barron's. Uh, this weekend's uh, cover story, which was about a, a company that uh, looks like a bank but isn't a bank, and then we'll talk about a few different other articles and barons, and then Brad will join us uh, and talk about the bond market, which uh, has uh, been on a uh, wilder ride than the stock market. Uh, so we'll get his uh, insights uh, on uh, the usually boring, uh, usually very stable bond market, which has been uh, anything uh, but and uh, has uh, had. Uh, Consequences uh, throughout different uh, investments and asset classes, and you know, may affect uh, how we think about uh, structuring our portfolios for the long term going forward. So, here we are, uh, 2023. Uh, we have uh, the turmoil taking place uh, and the war between uh, Russia and Ukraine, the uh, first land war since World War II in Europe which is certainly uh, tragic and getting uh, lots of attention. And it has led to uh, politicians and proclamations here in the United States about the relationship between the United States uh, and Russia, which has been uh, uh, tried and uh, and uh, uh, at uh, most times uh, uh, very, uh, very controversial between the two powers for a long time. Uh, but perhaps uh, the uh, the emerging power of China and uh, China's uh, emergence as a uh, as a uh, world uh, competitor to the United States, both uh, in terms of militarily and uh, economically, which is a challenge the United States hasn't uh, seen or uh, been tested with in uh, in in many many uh, 
many in a, in a long, long time. Perhaps since we've been a superpower, we haven't faced a, a challenge like we are seeing with uh, the emergence of a strong China. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but first, I'm going to back up and talk about uh, the fact that uh, the times that we're in seem uh, seem uh, very unique and very uh, different. And uh, we feel that uh, perhaps in the last uh, 10 years or so, perhaps even less, maybe five, six, seven years, that uh, we've become less civilized. The United States has become uh, more uh, more bifurcated, uh, lots of divisive issues uh, in this country. Uh, we feel that... Uh, or many of us feel that this is something that uh, hasn't happened before. Um, and part of the reason that we feel that we live in uh, in these uh, unique times, um, which is certainly true, they are unique, but that uh, that they haven't happened before, or that uh, the fraying of uh, America is taking place before our eyes, um, and the level of uh, discourse that we're experiencing uh, amongst our fellow Americans is uh, is abrasive and abrupt and uh, feel like that hasn't happened before. Um, but we forget that we're viewing the world through the lens of our experiences. And most of us who have been on this uh, earth, even the older of us, uh, really don't have uh, knowledge uh, in terms of palpable experience that exceeds 75 years, which uh, is really the post-World War II era. So it seems, quote-unquote, normal to us uh, doesn't extend beyond that, uh, that, that lens. We, we draw um, our, uh, our feelings of what's, uh, of what's typical, what's normal, what's happened before based on what we've experienced, uh, what we've felt. And uh, oftentimes uh, the world was a lot different uh, before we arrived on it or we started uh, experiencing sensations of what's new or what's happening. And uh, I'll point out uh, that uh, just 165 years ago, uh, the United States uh, was uh, in the midst of a civil war, obviously the greatest level of, uh, of uh, discourse and, uh, and, and in uncivility and, uh, and, and, and the lack of uh, getting along between uh, uh, two parties within one country that you could possibly have here where you're, where you're literally uh, fighting uh, in some cases against family. Um, and what I found the most fascinating when looking back uh, at the history of the Civil War was uh, a state that uh, most of us view today as uh, extraordinarily uh, uh, liberal and uh, a state that was uh, typically uh, associated with the North. Um, and that what has uh, perhaps uh, to many been lost in history is that when the Civil War uh, was uh, was uh, just uh, was just still in its uh, Warmenting uh, phases in uh, 1860 after, uh, in December of 1860 after South Carolina had seceded from the Union, um, it really wasn't very certain how New York City felt about, uh, about the Union or the Confederacy. And in fact, during the first three months of 1861, New York City flirted with leaving the Union. Uh, the reasons at the time were decades in the making, uh, but the sentiment was never more pointed than on January 6th. 1861, when the mayor of New York, uh, Fernando Wood, addressed the city council, and he said, it would seem that a dissolution of the Federal Union is inevitable. Um, he observed, noting the sympathy uh, joining New York to our aggrieved brethren of the slave states, and suggesting that the city declare its independence from the Union. When disunion has become a fixed and certain fact, 
Why may not New York disrupt the bans which bind her to a venal and corrupt master? This is from the mayor of New York in the 1861 in January. To a people and a party that have plundered her revenues, attempted to ruin her, take away the power of self-government, and destroy the confederacy of which, of which she was the proud empire city. And you may view uh, Mayor Wood um, as uh, as an outlier, but in fact, uh, many would say he was preaching to the converted in New York, uh, because then as of as now, New York City was the nation's financial hub and had it made its reputation and the lion's share of its revenues by supplying goods and services to the slave South. In many cases, many of the ships um, that were uh, carrying slaves um, were ships that were uh, registered and born in New York. In fact, even though New York had uh, been in uh, outlawed slavery itself in 1827. Most New Yorkers, and when I say New Yorkers, I'm talking about New York City, in 1827 uh, and uh, and in, uh, in uh, 1860 were pro-Southern. Now that sentiment shifted after uh, the attack on Fort Sumter uh, later in 1861, but nevertheless, uh, what uh, what the sentiments were in New York City in the uh, in the early uh, 1860s uh, is not something that we typically uh, think of. We think of uh, the world as being black and white. Uh, the North was lined up this way, the South was lined up that way, and that was not, in fact, uh, the way history uh, actually occurred. Um, so that lens that we view the world, um, that comfort that we, we like to, to create in our minds of uh, a nice, simplistic uh, world that used to exist, or a simplistic and simple world that uh, took place in our lifetimes just a few years ago um, was, in fact, in many cases, not the way the world was for a long time. So we, in the last 75 years, now switching gears to the present, um, have grown up in a post-World War II world when, in 1945, the United States was probably the only country on Earth um, that was stronger than it was in 1940. So... We here in the United States uh, were economically um, and arguably politically uh, a beneficiary of uh, of the tragedy that took place in World War II. And as a result of that, we were unchallenged economically for most of the lifetimes of most of the people who were, are here on the planet today. And we were also militarily, while we were challenged uh, by what was the uh, USSR, the Soviet Union, um, we can look back. Um, now, with the benefit of hindsight, and we can see uh, that while the Soviet Union presented a military challenge, they did not have the economic might to support their growing ambitions. Currently, we face a challenge in the rising economic and military strength of China, and this challenge is something that we need to think about uh, how this will impact, because uh, this is at the end of the day here, uh, we're talking about uh, portfolios and uh, investments and uh, geopolitics uh, factors into how we structure our portfolios and our investments. And what we see is uh, that the Chinese um, have uh, have changed the playbook and have changed the 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 the, the the trajectory here for us here in America, and we need to be smart and we need to be diligent in how uh, we uh, react to the new set of world circumstances. And we have to recognize that the China, like uh, the United States, is a country made up of smart, diligent, and uh, very hardworking uh, people. One of the main differences, though, between the U.S. and the Chinese is that the U.S. is about 350 million people, 
and the Chinese has about 1.5 billion people. And as these people become more economically uh, affluent, uh, they are greater and greater consumers of uh, not only domestic goods, but international goods. And as we saw this last uh, couple of weeks, uh, some of our uh, strongest allies, like uh, Emmanuel Macron of France um, and Lula da Silva of Brazil, um, were visiting uh, the uh, Chinese Premier Xi and lavishing praise on the Chinese and uh, were pursuing their economic interests uh, with the Chinese, uh, the Brazilians being large uh, uh, sellers of uh, commodities and the uh, French being uh, large sellers of luxury goods. And uh, some of our allies uh, may not be as allied with us uh, going forward, um, given this economic might, because as we know, the almighty uh, dollar or euro or uh, renminbi um, has a lot of influence and effect on uh, on, on how people uh, will act. Um, it's not about the money. Um, it's about the money. So here we are at a moment in time where we have uh, U.S. and Sino relations at an inflection point, um, and we have uh, a unique situation where we have tension and a lot of distrust, as Milton Friedman wrote uh, this weekend in an op-ed piece in the New York Times, that uh, perhaps the greatest risk to the U.S.-Chinese relationship is this crisis of trust, yet it, this crisis of trust is uh, is is burgeoning. Uh, still at a period where there is still a great deal of coupling between the U.S. and China and still a significant amount of interconnectedness. And uh, the future of this relationship uh, and how we think about investing, uh, both in the short and long term, will be dependent upon whether or not these bonds continue to fray, whether or not these bonds uh, are able to uh, be preserved in some capacity, albeit uh, potentially a, a, new, uh, a new paradigm. Um, a new relationship between these countries, um, but nevertheless, uh, a situation where uh, both countries can learn to uh, can learn to uh, establish a new quote unquote new normal, uh, as uh, as uh, typically happens when you, for a long period of time, have one dominant nation, and inevitably um, you will have uh, other nations uh, arise and strengthen and challenge uh, the sole dominance of one country, and how that. Uh, and how that uh, transition uh, takes place over time uh, will be something that we observe and uh, something that we think about as uh, as we um, not only invest but are citizens uh, of the world. Now, one of the biggest uh, influences or changes, if you're talking about portfolio construction, perhaps uh, that might be uh, the most immediate effect of recent Chinese-U.S. relations is the effect of uh, gold and silver, uh, but particularly gold. Um, which has uh, been propelling itself towards a record price. Um, that's a combination of economic concerns, lower bond yields, a weaker dollar, but also uh, some of the dynamic uh, that's uh, behind the weaker dollar. What's taking place? Why are uh, why are dollars going down? Um, it's not just interest rates. It's because uh, some foreign uh, central banks are becoming uh, smaller purchases of dollars and bigger purchases of gold. And if that trend were to continue, which it may, uh, we could see a continuance in the uh, ascension of uh, of gold. Um, so bu uh, buying by essential banks uh, uh, is a tailwind that looks likely to continue. Uh, the price of gold settled at about $2,040 an ounce on Thursday, the second highest value in history. It's about a half a percentage point below the August of 2020 record of 2069. The yellow metal has gained 13% since late February. 
Uh, gold is up more than 25% since November. Uh, other precious metals have rallied even more. The price of silver has surged nearly 30% in the past month. Data from the World Gold Council showed that central banks around the world acquired a net 157 tons of gold in the first two months of 2023. That's the fastest pace of buying at the start of the year in a decade. Uh, central banks often hold uh, foreign currencies and gold in their reserves. The U.S. dollar remains dominant, but as I mentioned, more countries are working to diversify their reserves. The People's Bank of China has been a big purchaser of gold, adding 15 tons in January and 25 tons in February to its reserves, according to the World Gold Council. The Central Bank of Turkey bought a combined 46 tons of gold in the first two months of 2023. Russia boosted its reserves of gold by 31 tons in February. Of course, gold's current price is at a near record only in nominal terms. In real terms, adjusted for inflation, gold is still a long way off. Back in 1980, gold peaked at an inflation-adjusted price of more than $3,000 in today's dollars, um, and that was a decade after the U.S. left the gold standard and at a time of inflation and recession. Taking a look at what else uh, is going on this morning, uh, taking a look at uh, futures, Dow futures are up about 50 points, S&P futures up four, NASDAQ futures up about uh, five points uh, this morning. Um, this uh, is uh, as a result of uh, um, really uh, anticipation of uh, earnings that uh, are expected to uh, rain down on the markets this week. Um, already this morning, we did get earnings from uh, Charles Schwab, which has been in the news uh, regarding uh, their bond portfolios and pressure on banks. Uh, shares of Schwab this morning are up about 3% on better-than-expected earnings. Uh, Schwab posted a profit of $0.93 cents per share, beating a uh, forecast of $0.90 cents per share. Revenues are roughly in line. Um, Schwab has recently defended its financial position, um, noting that it's Loan to deposit ratio is uh, is low. Uh, other companies in the news this morning: M&T Bank up about three percent after posting its latest quarterly figures, uh, four oh nine a share, beating estimates of three ninety nine. Revenues also uh, slightly uh, better than uh, expected. On the weaker side, State Street uh, Bank fell more than ten percent after uh, they posted their latest quarterly results. They earned a dollar fifty two a share. The street was looking for. Uh, 164. Treasury yields this movement morning are moving higher. Two-year note is up about three basis points to 414. The 10-year up two to 354. Dollar relatively flat. Um, oil this morning down about half a percent to uh, 82 dollars for West Texas Intermediate. Natural gas this morning is up a little over two percent. Um, other companies in the news, Google, Google this morning down about 4% on reports that Samsung is considering replacing Google with Microsoft's thing. That's according to uh, the New York Times. Um, Uber, uh, U-B-E-R, is named a top pick with a buy rating at Jefferies. Uh, Merck this morning uh, down about uh, just nominally after announcing that they are going to be buying Prometheus Biosciences, symbol RXDX. For $200 per share, uh, that is a 75% premium uh, to a closing price uh, for uh, for that uh, company. And uh, this acquisition is expected uh, to provide Merck with uh, greater uh, presence in uh, immunocology uh, drugs uh, to treat uh, various uh, diseases. Uh, Fox 
FOX, uh, this, uh, in the news, uh, Delaware Superior Court judge announcing a one-day delay in the Dominion voting system's defamation suit against Fox, aimed at giving the parties more time to possibly uh, reach a deal, talk that they are seeking a uh, settlement uh, with, uh, with Dominion. Washington Post uh, reporting that leaked documents show Taiwan is highly vulnerable to attacks from China. ABC News is reporting that the Biden administration is seeing limited damage from a classified intelligence leak. Um, and the Wall Street Journal um, saying that banks are feeling pressure uh, to pay depositors more interest um, as uh, folks become more and more aware that uh, Treasury yields uh, offer a uh, meaningfully higher alternative to uh, checking accounts and in many cases are paying close to zero. Uh, Google, again in the news, another story, this is uh, from the New York Times, that they are preparing uh, search engine changes, changes to compete with uh, artificial intelligence. Um, world is keeping a close eye um, on uh, potential uh, civil unrest and uh, civil war in uh, Sudan between the, uh, between the army and a, uh, and a faction of the army uh, that is playing out on the streets of uh, Khartoum, tragically. Um, Overseas, uh, markets in uh, China uh, were up about 1.4%. Uh, uh, Hang Seng in Hong Kong up 1.7%. Uh, Chinese markets at their uh, best level since June. Uh, the Japanese market up slightly. India's market down about 1%. Um, there are reports this morning, speaking of India, that uh, Apple's uh, market share in India has ticked up and that the revenues in India are up about 50% year over year as they make uh, inroads uh, selling their uh, products, specifically the iPhone, um, in India and as they manufacture more phones uh, domestically. Uh, the Chinese government is reportedly blocking Secretary of State Blinken's visit to Beijing due to displeasure about an FBI probe into the downed Chinese uh, spy balloon. Uh, Shanghai's auto show is going to begin uh, and run through uh, April uh, 27th. Um, in Europe, talking about interest rates, uh, had two policymakers in Europe express uh, competing views on the next move for the ECB, the European Central Bank. Um, policymaker Centino said that the ECB should slow or pause its rate hikes, while policymaker Kazakh said there is an option for a 25 to 50 basis point rate hike at the May meeting. So. Clearly, divergence of opinion there from uh, ECB officials. Um, also report that ECB officials are looking to halt all reinvestments in the asset purchase program um, in the second half of uh, 2023. Moving on to Barron's. Uh, Barron's uh, had a headline story uh, talking about a company called TELUS, or TELUS, uh, T-E-L-L-U-S, um, and the fact that uh, this company... Uh, presents themselves uh, to look like a uh, bank. Um, the problem is that uh, it is, in fact, uh, not a bank. They offer uh, rates that are um, in excess of uh, 5% for savings accounts, um, but uh, their relationship uh, to banks uh, is misrepresented, Barron's uh, suggests, and, uh, and they blur the line and uh, are not really clear to uh, many folks who don't know better that uh, they are not a bank, um, but operate like a bank. They take in deposits and they lend the money out uh, uh, to uh, real estate developers, and Barron's is questioning whether or not uh, they even are permitted to do that. Um, and uh, Barron's is accusing this company, TELUS, of uh, very uh, uh, dubious uh, advertising and statements at the very least. Um, one of the things that Barron's talks about is uh, 
on their website, uh, they stated, at least until this article uh, was uh, being published, that our banking partners, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo, which they say both are FDIC insured, sort of trying to give the impression that they are also FDIC insured. Um, when uh, Barron's approached J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo about their connections uh, to TELUS Bank, uh, they expressed a great surprise that they were mentioned on their website. And uh, days after Barron's contact, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo about TELUS, their names disappeared from the startup's uh, homepage. Um, so TELUS uh, currently offers rates of uh, 5% for what they call a boost account, um, but Barron's is uh, very uh, very uh, critical, suggesting that uh, they are implying this company, TELUS, that uh, they are uh, FDI insured and are a bank, um, when in fact, uh, there is a lot of risk here to your deposits, and uh, they suggest that the public uh, beware um, and be mindful of uh, what they are doing when they invest here, and perhaps suggesting, although not overtly, uh, that uh, some of the regulators uh, should uh, focus their attention on this uh, this uh, this type of uh, activity as opposed to some of the activities the regulators are currently uh, uh, consumed with. Barron's also talked about uh, financial services stocks, so uh, talking uh, differently here in the banking sector here, uh, specifically uh, Barron's uh, very positive on life insurance stocks, which they say, which they say look cheap and inviting. Uh, some stocks are cheap for a reason and stay that way, but other inexpensive stocks can be good values. Life insurance shares, they say, belong in the latter category. Their finances are sound. And the industry has gotten better at risk management, they say. Life insurance stocks fell more than 10% in March and now trade for an average of seven and a half times projected 2023 earnings. Um, that is a, a significant discount to the uh, S&P, which is trading for around 18 times uh, forward earnings. Uh, Bright House Financial, symbol BHF, and Jackson Financial, symbol JXN, change hands for less than three times estimated 2023 earnings per share. Now, there are valid reasons for the industry's depressed valuations, including exposure to commercial real estate, but there are also opportunities to be had. Uh, Credit Suisse analyst Andrew Kligerman saying the life ins insurance industry is in a good place. The companies are sound from a liquidity and capital perspective and, and from a, both a liquidity and capital perspective. Uh, since the financial crisis, uh, he says the industry has improved its risk management processes. The insurers do have uh, huge asset bases relative to their equity capital. In some cases, the ratio is as high as 10 to 1, which does make them vulnerable to credit problems in bond-oriented uh, portfolios. Um, also, uh, many of these insurance companies have exposure to commercial real estate, um, in some cases, uh, commercial real estate uh, could account for 10 to 20 percent of uh, assets and for as much as 120 percent of equities. But they feel that uh, these concerns uh, perhaps uh, are valid for sure, but uh, overblown. Uh, life insurers have an extremely value, uh, favorable record with commercial real estate. This is an analyst at Keith Bryant Woods. Um, in the past 25 years, uh, insurance companies' uh, losses from real estate um, have been close to zero. Uh, the average value of loans relative to appraised property values is below 60%, meaning there is a considerable cushion before any losses would need to be taken. That doesn't mean there won't be any hits, uh, but uh, this analyst expects those hits to be uh, minimal. Um, tailwinds, higher interest rates, favorable for life insurers because they allow them to reinvest proceeds from bond maturities at loftier yields. 
Another positive, uh, lower COVID mortality. Uh, U.S. COVID deaths are down nearly 50% in 2022. Insurance stocks trade on average at book value, um, and that's a measure that does exclude the unrealized losses on uh, bond portfolios. Um, talking specifically about the specific stocks, equitable holdings, symbol EQH, fetches less than five times projected 2023 earnings. They are heavily exposed to commercial real estate and office properties relative to peers. Um, but uh, the analysts in this article, both the Credit Suisse analyst and the uh, KBW analyst, uh, have favorable ratings on the stocks. Speaking about equitable as well, um, about 61% of uh, its valuation um, is a stake in Alliance Bernstein that's worth uh, about $6 billion. So if you were to pull that Alliance Bernstein uh, valuation out of uh, the, the valuation of equitable, the remainder of equitable would be trading at around three times earnings, uh, EQH, the symbol there. Another company mentioned in uh, in this article is Corbridge Holdings, symbol Charlie Roger Boy Golf. Uh, Corbridge was uh, taken public uh, by AIG. It is uh, the uh, former uh, life insurance unit of AIG that was spun out of AIG in September at about $21 a share. The stock is now languishing at around $16 per share. Uh, Corbridge is looking to cut costs and hike returns over the next 18 months. Stock trades for less than five times uh, 2023 earnings and about half its adjusted uh, book value. Annuity providers like Corbridge have been out of favor due to investment risks associated with funding um, annuity contracts. Um, Of note, Blackstone symbol BX paid uh, about $32 a share um, for about a 10% stake in uh, Corbridge back in late 2021, although uh, that price is not necessarily indicative of fair value um, given that it was uh, accompanied by a lucrative investment contract uh, for Blackstone. Um, But uh, the analysts in this article nevertheless suggest uh, that the stock uh, appears um, inexpensive. Um, And another overhang here just – for a full uh, thought process on Corbridge, is that AIG still owns 77% of Corbridge, um, and uh, they may be looking to uh, sell off uh, a portion or that stake in its entirety, and that uh, remains an overhang um, for the stock price of Corbridge, symbol CRBG. I'm going to turn it over to Brad, give us some more uh, thoughts and insights into uh, financial markets uh, this morning. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. Uh, try to be brief this morning. The bond market uh, continues to remain volatile, and uh, rates start to creep higher last week. Nothing drastic, but the 10-year has come up from its recent low of 3.3% uh, to about 3.55%. And, you know, these 25 basis point moves every week, uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, unnerving. Uh, however, the two-year is what's particularly interesting because uh, for a short-term maturity to have 25 base point moves in this all the time is just, uh, I haven't seen it maybe, it's it's pretty unprecedented. But we were down below 3.9% on the two-year. Now we're back up to uh, just above uh, 4.1%, actually 4.15% now. I know it's early in the year to have this conversation, uh, but in honor of tax day tomorrow, I'm going to bring it up. I think it's a mistake to wait till uh, the end of the year to always discuss tax law swaps, uh, particularly in municipal bonds where they're pretty easy to do. I hope everyone has a great week, 
and I will hand it back to Keith. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantham. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.